Give a round of applause yourselves because you got here. We got here. I can't tell you how grateful I am for all of the work that each and every one of you has done over the last two and a half, three years, 75,000 hours, whatever it's been. It's probably been more than 75,000 hours. But the fact that you all dug in when the world needed us and that you're continuing to do that work because, let's be clear, it's a little, still a little, it's a little fragile at the moment. And so the world is going to call on all of us to do a lot more than and we've already been asked for a lot. But we're going to about to hear a story of a bunch of folks who believe that their voices could matter and they could change the world. And guess what? A couple weeks ago, they did. I'm not blowing smoke when I tell you the story you're about to hear, I think, is one of the most important communication stories of the last 10 years. Why don't we go ahead? Y'all ready to hear it? Well, I ain't the one to tell it. Everybody, put your hands together. Norris West, Molly Levinson. We're in Seattle, and we're here in person. Now, I lived in Seattle for about three years, and I tell you, we've struck gold. First of all, this is one of the most beautiful cities in the country. I would argue that on a sunny day like this is the absolute most beautiful city in the country. And we're here together, so I am so excited, and I'm excited to be here with Molly Levinson to talk about this important story that Sean referenced. Uh, and uh, why am I here? Uh, at one point, I was a sports writer, so, and I love women's soccer. Uh, all of us marveled at the U.S. women's national team for years as they won gold medals and World Cups. Um, yet, the story that you're going to hear is that, in spite of that, these were world-class athletes who were the best in their field, uh, that they um, uh, weren't compensated fairly. Uh, so, uh, so we're going to hear that story. Oh, one more thing before we start. I did want to, uh, first of all, give a shout-out to Casey Family Programs, to Marguerite Casey Foundation, the Gates, uh, and to the folks in the Seattle local network who helped to make this an amazing event. Uh, they are just tremendous hosts, so thank you for that. Okay. okay. So now, Molly. Norris. I'd love for you to share uh, with us your experience. You led a communications effort for the U.S. Women's National Team. Can you tell us about the beginning of the story, sure. the origin story? Uh, uh, where did you begin and when, you, when you took on this effort? And can you set the frame for us about what the U.S. women were up against uh, when you started on this journey? Absolutely. It's so nice to be here with all of you because I feel like this story um, has a lot of roots in the work that everybody in this room does. Um, the origin story is that, you know, for years and years, for decades, um, the U.S. women's national team players uh, won games, won World Cups, won Olympic medals, and yet despite all of their success, they were not paid equally to their men colleagues. Um, and, you know, my role in this 
really started in 2016. The players, uh, through a mutual colleague, called up my firm. Um, I'm the CEO of a strategic communications firm and said, you know, would you, would you mind talking to some soccer players? They want to reimagine their players association, their union. And so I said, sure, I, I would love to. I have to admit to all of you, I'm not a soccer player. I, 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 was, I went on a soccer field, I think, a couple times as a child and was an abject failure. So as much as I you know, was very excited about speaking with these players, um, you know, I, I was also like, why me? Why, why this? Um, and I, I started to help the players. Um, they, their, their objective at the time in 2016 was that they wanted to take over the leadership of their players' association. They wanted to take back their own voices. And they also wanted to expand what the Players Association did to make it more entrepreneurial, to sort of move past the concept of you know, just collective bargaining and actually move it forward to be a place where they could spur the game, grow the game on behalf of other women players. We did that in 2016. It was right before our collective bargaining negotiations that we went into. We were extremely hopeful that through that change, we would achieve equal pay in those collective bargaining negotiations. We went into them. In the first meeting, we sat down with the US Soccer Federation and their lawyers, and the lawyers said, you should just know right now, equal pay is not on the table. Okay. So we're gonna, you know, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> ultimately, uh, Molly and, and her team uh, was able to work to achieve equal pay. Uh, there was an agreement uh, that was reached and there was a settlement uh, yes. in spite of the fact that the team had lost in court. Uh, so that's a spoiler alert, but uh, <laughs> I think you all know that. <laughs> but let me ask you, what about this dispute made you think that communications had an important role to play? So, I mean, this is also something I think you and everyone here just deeply understands, which is, you know, number one, for the players, communications is their superpower. You know, they have a platform. They're, through their hard work and through their victories, through their successes, they've created a community around them and engagement with the world that is very powerful. And so we understood as we you know, started the effort to try to achieve equal pay, the communications was gonna be essential because that was the way that the players could contribute. In addition, um, and I, I'm sure this is something all of you encounter in your day-to-day -day lives, you know, we did have challenges with the legal battle. Um, you know, at, at one point in time, we lost it. We lost our summary judgment and we had to, at that moment in time, understand that we were only going to win through public sentiment. We were only going to win if the public supported us. And so that's really where we focused a lot of our energy. Was there any template for anything like this before? Uh, I don't think there was. But if there was, um, what previous communications 
efforts inspired you? So, you, you know, motivated? we really thought of ourselves, and I think we still do, as, you know, the little engine that could. I think, you know, the way, first of all, the templates are sort of any effort that has to beat back un, like unbelievable odds, humongous systemic resistance, um, and do it with, you know, the tiniest possible little group and almost no resources. So the template is just understanding what's right, what's fair, what's equitable, and just hoping and working that you know, the world around you will also understand that and will become an ally. Okay, so what were the first two or three steps you took? So, okay, so setting the scene a little bit, um, you know, the players are about to embark, um, this is 2019, the players are about to start preparing to train for the World Cup, which they've qualified for. And the lawyers come to the players and, and our comms team and say, you know, there's, there's a statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. If you do not file, uh, if you do not take action on behalf of Equal Pay, you will lose the opportunity to do it forever. So this was a huge, huge conundrum because on the one hand, the players were about to, you know, enter the biggest moment of their lives as athletes. And on the other hand, they, if they did not take action against their employer, they would have lost the opportunity. And every single one of them, you know, it, it, it was almost not even a deliberation. I remember the call really late on a Sunday night when they finally understood there was no option, like it had to be now. They felt it was so important for them to take the action. So step one was making the decision, okay, we're gonna come together, we're gonna you know, write a complaint, we're gonna file a lawsuit and sue their employer only months before they were gonna go to France and play in the World Cup. So, and then step two, um, and this is, this is sort of admitting to a, a bunch of professionals who I know have all been in a really similar circumstance. You know, we had this conversation in February. Um, the closer that we got to May and June, May and June was sort of, you know, we could not do anything then because that's when the World Cup games were happening. Yeah. So we said, okay, when should we file this lawsuit? Uh, my team, you know, we were sort of looking at the calendar and we said, oh, the International Day of Women is on March 8th. We're gonna do it then. So we, and then we realized. <laughs> so step two was we had two weeks to write and file a lawsuit and to, get a, <laughs> and, and to get a bunch of people to understand how meaningful it was to the players and hopefully how successful it would be, and so we did. Okay, I wanna ask you about some of the obstacles you faced, but before that, I just wanna just keep this real because yeah. this was a struggle for oh, these yeah. women who faced, many of them, again, they're world-class athletes, but uh, many of them faced economic hardships. Can you describe that briefly, uh, what yes. the, the conditions were like for some of these women? Yes, and I think this is very important to understand. It's something that, you know, the documentary about this effort, which, you know, if you haven't seen it, everybody should see it. It's called LFG. We'll talk about it a little more. But, um, you know, it's very important to understand that, you know, that most of these women have, are, came from, 
you know, we're making salaries around $22,000 a year, $35,000 a year as National Women's Soccer League players. Um, many of them have to work two to three jobs in order to keep playing professional soccer. And I think one of the things actually that equal pay has done that has created more challenges around this issue is that we see these players as major celebrities. And we think about celebrity athletes as coming with all of the trappings that that means for, for most people. That doesn't apply to these players. And so, you know, for most of them, they are working, you know, they're, they're training, they're playing football, soccer, they, many of them coach in order to sort of have an additional job. And then in addition to that, there are others who have, you know, other jobs, you know, and most of them take their time. Many of them are mothers now. So in addition to doing their, their work and their jobs as soccer players, they're also raising kids. So to add on top of that, you know, leading a global effort to change the world mm -hmm. was a lot. And I think it really translated into, you know, most of our work was done really late at night, on the weekends, whenever we would have extra time, you know, flying all around the world to try to meet up with each yeah. other and plan, and um, doing so with very little supports. So. Thank you. I do want to ask you about some of the obstacles you faced along yes. the way, because this wasn't an easy road. No, uh, I mean, so we lost more than we want, I'll just mm -hmm. say. Um, you know, I think what, um, one of the pieces of this that is so important, and I, and I think about this every day doing the work that I know all of you do too, which is, you know, there were a lot of times when we hoped that we would succeed that we utterly failed. And, um, and I think part of that is because, you know, the system is so hard to change. It's just, you know, there, one, of the, one of the sort of biggest obstacles from a comms perspective um, that we came up against was the sort of messaging framework, and I feel like it's okay to use that jargon in this, in this room. <laughs> um, but the messaging framework that, you know, if women made more than men, not that they were paid equally, but if they made more than, the, than men, then that was enough. And, you know, if you sort of think about it in the simplest terms, you know, let's say that women make $10 for every win and men make $40 for every win and women win, you know, eight times and they make $80 and men win two times and they make $80 and then the women win one more time so they make $10 more, the argument that, well, that's enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that changing that, changing that attitude, which is, you know, it, that, you know, women, oh, women can run as fast or women can play as hard. The attitude that, you know, it, it should be enough that is what we just had to break through and change and ultimately did, but it was very difficult. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, this is the same employer. Both the U.S. men and U.S. Yes. women national team uh, were employed 
by the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, and uh, there was this pay structure that required women to win so much more to even yes. approach the level of pay that men got. Yes, like three times more. And, you know, and I think ultimately what was so important about this effort was that, you know, we really ultimately got the support of the men's team and had support from, you know, athletes around the world, including men athletes. Yeah. And I think ultimately that made a huge difference with the U.S. Soccer Federation when they, you know, this, it was not just the women's team that they were hearing from. They were also hearing from everyone else. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see people like Steph Curry stepping up and, yeah. and endorsing the equal pay effort. So that was uh, really cool. Uh, let's talk about the communications challenges that you faced. Can you tell me what was the biggest communications challenge you and the team faced and how did you get past it? So I think the biggest one is just our, our resources. I mean, so, you know, we, we used a lot of earned media, another jargon, but, um, you know, we, we had to really take advantage and create news moments around dry legal events. Um, and mm. that is not very easy to do. Um, and, you know, we really tried to do it. I would say, I, I, I'll say, you know, one of the sort of tactics we often used was, and, you know, I spent many years as a, as a journalist and a television executive before I did this work. And so every time we would have a major filing, you know, we would call up all, all of the network morning shows and make a huge deal out of it and offer Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe and actually do a round robin like we were, you know, the president of the United States. And it worked. Um, you know, what we didn't have, though, is, you know, any sort of meaningful social or digital assets. You know, we didn't have the accompanying campaign that you would so often need. And so we really had to take those moments and make them meaningful for people. I would say the second biggest communications challenge is the fact that we lost the legal battle. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we had to sort of overcome that, that, you know, what happened there and create the momentum around what we wanted to do in order to succeed. Were you surprised by that? Were you surprised uh, that the... U.S. Women's National Team lost the legal battle? I mean, court. I was devastated, actually. I, and this is, you can all go watch this, too, if you haven't, because in the documentary, when we find out that we lose, I just burst into tears in the mm. middle of the, of the afternoon, and there's sort of a, a scene about that. But I was shocked. Uh, and I think because, you know, the facts, uh, the facts that go into this case are so clear, and, you know, the, the rate of pay, when you just sort of athletes are paid to perform, and, and, you know, when you sort of look at the rate of pay that the women received, it was less than the men. And so it was very hard to imagine that the court would rule the way that it did. Um, I think ultimately, you know, there were other moments along the way that were similarly um, difficult. You know, when we would go into mediations, this is one other thing. When we would go into mediations, we, ha we had one really important mediation right after the players won the World Cup. So here they are. They're the best in the world. Mm -hmm. They battle tremendous odds to be that. And we come back from France in 2019. We go into mediation, and it completely fails. And I think, 
you know, I never believed that that would happen. I thought, how, of course they're going to say, we'll pay you equally. We just mm-hmm. won. But it took a lot more than that. Yeah. And, but that wasn't the end of the story because no, of your not. efforts, because of communication. So tell me, how did, the way that I look at it, um, how did communications uh, snatch victory from the jaws of legal defeat? So, <laughs> woohoo! So, <laughs> so, you know, I think a couple things. First of all, um, when we, at the, in the very early days, when we started planning to file the lawsuit, um, you know, a bunch of us thought about, okay, what is our message going to be? And our, our message was when we win, everyone wins. And so we really framed what we were going to do and say in every moment around the idea that we wanted to be a unifier. We wanted people who would not necessarily have been on our side to take a second look and want to be on our side. And so, so from the very beginning, we did that. And ultimately, and so that's one important piece. The second is during the World Cup in France, I don't, so for the soccer fans here, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. In the semifinals, so it was a very hard fought series of games. And, um, and, the, and the games were really close. And, and the US kept sort of eking out wins. And we got to the semifinals in France playing England, and, um, and the, the U.S., we won. And there was this moment where there was like a, a pause right after the win when everybody was clapping. And then all of a sudden, there was this rumbling that you could hear throughout the stadium of people chanting, equal pay, equal pay. And you know, we didn't, we didn't plan that, <laughs> but I, I turned to my colleagues, my team and said, it's working. People are listening. And so, you know, then we came back and when we had these, these challenging moments, we really would just redouble our efforts, go out there and find other people who we hadn't yet tried to convince, um, and, and, you know, persuade them to be helpful to us. We did that with sponsors and it worked. We did that, you know, with other sports leaders and it worked. And ultimately there was so much pressure on the Federation that they did not have a choice but to change. Mm. I highly recommend the documentary, by the way. Thank you. So the documentary also highlights one of the um, other fun pieces of of messaging for for this effort, which I know you'll all appreciate, which is, you know, the chant that the players say before, whenever they go out on the field, right before they they run out onto the field, um, and, and I apologize in advance for using this language, but they say, let's fucking go, before they're about to, to run out onto the field. And, and I have to say, we adopted that saying as, as our, our team's call to action. And so when it came time for the documentary to be named, the producers said, well, we have to name it, let's fucking go. And, and, and you know, we said, okay, well, maybe we should shorten it to be LFG, just to be, you know, and, and so we did that. 
But I will say one of the crowning, like the small victories that I felt as a communicator is when I finally convinced the legal team to let me put let's fucking go in our statements on the record, which, uh, which they, uh, you know, they were very cautious and I really enjoyed, but it was great. <laughs> and I think that may be our call to action throughout this conference. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. LFG. <laughs> now, one thing that really surprised me, uh, and you thought this was really important, uh, is to stay out of partisan politics as you, yes. you did yes. that. And I don't know how you do that in this uh, extraordinarily polarized society that we're in now. So why was that important to you? And how were you able to achieve that? So, I mean, this is also, I think, was one of the challenges and um, because of the times that we live in, because they are so polarizing. And we were really intentional about this. You know, we just understanding that we needed to be able to bring on board, you know, big brands, big corporate leaders who are sponsors of these efforts, you know, reach across the world and be able to, you know, grab people by their heartstrings and make them really want to help. We needed to transcend politics. We needed to be apolitical. Um, and we worked very, very hard to do that. You know, we wanted to be, a, we wanted to be a convener and a platform and a place where everybody could find something. And I think ultimately, you know, we were able to do that. I, I remember at one point there was actually a poll that was done, um, and and in in the poll, one of the only sort of unifying pieces of messaging was, you know, do you support the U.S. women's national team players' equal pay efforts? And it was, you know, 75% Democrats, 76% Republicans. And we just considered that to be a tremendously important piece of what we were doing. Wow. So you provided a blueprint now for making right, which was a longstanding wrong. Um, and it didn't trigger a huge political backlash either. So can you share with us any reflections that you have from that experience? Sure. I mean, I think so much of it has to do with the people who really worked for this and led this, who are the players themselves. I think that they are such, they believe so strongly in fighting for what's right and for fighting for equality and fairness and access. And I think ultimately because of them and because of who they are, because of, you know, sort of all the pieces um, of what they mean to the sports world, but way beyond that as advocates for change, I think they were ultimately, they, they ultimately were able to sort of make this as inclusive as it possibly could be. I think, you know, at the end of the day, the blueprint for that is finding, you know, champions and voices who are willing to listen to others and then also willing to, when, when needed, advocate for the change themselves, like really step up. Molly, can you talk a little bit about your team? And you must have a really large team, right? <laughs> no. So, <laughs> I'm sure, actually, this is very similar to many of you as well. You know, our team, we have 16 people on our team. The team that worked on, on this particular effort, there are four of us in comms. Um, four. And four. 
And, you know, the legal teams are similarly as small because we all did this work really out of, you know, because we believed in it for many years. And so, it, you know, we worked, we worked around the clock for a lot, a lot of days and months and years. And we're in the middle of a pan pandemic yes. uh, when all of us were feeling uh, a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. We couldn't have been together for two years because of the pandemic. Um, how did your team manage and how did you manage to keep your team energized and refreshed and recharged uh, and rested and, and just able to bring their best selves to this process day after day as you went through this uh, really long and uh, uh, fairly torturous fight? I mean, it was so hard. I, I, I'm, I'm sure every, for everyone here, this is, you know, the hardest thing that we've all done for these years is you know, continue to work, continue to balance everything that, you know, you have to do between work and life to, you know, with your team, obviously, you know, it's more than work. They're people who you love and care about and your friends. Um, and so, you know, there were moments when we all had to remind ourselves that we needed a little bit of a break there were moments that we had to push through really feeling a, a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And I think at the end of the day, what kept us all going truly in part was each other, like being able to work alongside people who you respect so much, who cared just as much about making the change. And I think that really made a difference for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to ask you uh, uh, maybe as we, um, get ready to uh, take questions. And by the way, I just wanted to let everyone know that we're not going to be uh, running mics around. We have two mics, uh, one over here and one there. So if you have any questions, we're going to open it up to Q&A in, in just a little while. So I want you to uh, just make your way uh, to the mics if you have questions. Um, but I do want to um, uh, talk a little bit more just about the the time that this took place because you know this dispute still was in the middle of a really uh, difficult time you know we did have the pandemic uh, there was a racial reckoning there was sort of a yes. greater awareness and attention to social justice issues so there there, there were many layers uh, that this uh, came in the midst of uh, can you just talk about how you managed uh, all of those distinct situations uh, going through this fight Sure. I mean, the pandemic had a, you know, was was devastating to sports. It, um, it there were real. I mean, it, we had to we had to cancel the Olympic Games. Um, there was a really really scary time for the for the league that all of these players play in, the National Women's Soccer League. Um, I I think that. The impact that it had on this effort and, and the lawsuit, um, on the one hand, I think it sort of dragged out the time that um, would have been much more condensed, obviously, but also because of the impact that it had on the court system. Um, but I think that there also was a very important, you know, uh, reckoning that happened during that time. and. Um, where the players were able to actually step back from playing every day and training every day because everything became very quiet and stopped. 
and they were actually able to sort of redouble their efforts and reframe what they were going to do, and they became you know, even more determined to make this change. Um, you know, they, if you, if you hear from any of them, if you talk to any of them, and, and, and what they've said is, you know, they always wanted this to be so much bigger than themselves. And I think that all the conversations that were happening during that time and sort of all the, the sort of inward looking questions that we were all asking ourselves at that time really helped them and gave them the fuel that they needed to continue to drive this forward and make it into what it became. Okay. Now, our chair last night, we had a reception at, uh, at a music museum uh, here in Seattle. Awesome place, awesome uh, uh, reception. Uh, but our chair, Erica Pelletro, uh, talked about the reason that we're here, uh, that we are communications professionals, uh, we're here, and our values uh, is, to, uh, is to be here for community, uh, leadership, and learning. Uh, so we're learning from each other. Uh, we're learning how to do communications for good, which you are, have to done just so brilliantly uh, with this effort. Um, but I want to talk about the, the lessons that you, uh, if, in case anybody missed any of the lessons that you have given throughout so far, um, can you talk about, the, can you tell us what are the takeaways? What are the most important lessons that may be relevant to people in this room? Sure. I mean, number one is, and I think you all know this really well, but it's just much harder than we think it's going to be. And I think, you know, we lost, as I said, so many more times than we won, but we kept at it. And I think, you know, the key to it is just understanding, to that piece, is just understanding how important the communications aspects of these efforts are and redoubling efforts when it seems like the path forward needs to change, being willing to change it. The second thing um, that I think is really, really important for many of us is being an honest broker. And you know, I see that in, in a number of different ways, but in, in this particular effort, you know, we really had to sort of take down an institution. Mm -hmm. And then we had to work with the institution to rebuild itself back up. And we had to be able to, you know, on the one hand, sort of question the very premise of the U.S. Soccer Federation and what it was. And then on the other hand, in order to sort of create the historic resolution that we did, we had to be trusted enough to work with the leaders of that institution and organization to be able to make that change. And I know so many people here wear hats like that where on the one hand, you have to ask the hardest questions. And then on the other hand, you have to lead to get people there. And so that to me is, is, is the second one. The third is, um, and you and I have talked about this, Norris, the third is that you know, when we started this effort, and I, I know there's a lot of communicators who can really identify with this, you know, there, were, there were tons of fancy lawyers, and then there were tons of celebrity athletes and for us as communicators, you know, we really, we felt sort of like the support system. Like we were there, we were the strategists, we were there, we would work with the media. But I think we never, at the very beginning, never really imagined that we would take on the leadership role that we ultimately had. And I think just understanding the value of what that meant in this effort, the value of sort of 
being deliberate and intentional about what we were going to say and how we were going to say it and who we were going to engage with and you know pushing beyond with with all of the folks who we worked really closely with who were not communicators sort of pushing beyond sort of what they wanted to do to get us to our communications objectives that was a huge lesson for me and for my team in what's possible. Okay, terrific. Okay, I think we're gonna to go to questions now. So let's start over here to my right. Sure. I think this and is- And please, uh, could you identify yourself uh, as, before you ask your question? Absolutely, my name is Mark Meyer. I'm with a healthcare nonprofit called the Assistance Fund. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about kind of the thought process that went into going after corporations. I know there are so many youth soccer leagues as well that are more of at the grassroots level. How you thought about going after both kind of the, the corporate side, more the grass tops versus the grassroots? It's such a great question. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that we haven't been able to talk about, but that happened as a result of equal pay is that you've seen also sort of a cultural reckoning um, in women's soccer and the National Women's Soccer League, and also just more broadly in the youth leagues. Um, I think that uh, the, the sort of there's a very important effort that needs to continue at a grassroots level. And I think educating people, engaging people, you know, continuing to have this conversation, not just sort of saying, okay, we achieved it, it's done, it's great, but really continuing to, um, to push it forward um, is very, very important. And by the way, if I can just add to that, uh, I have a 14-year-old granddaughter who plays high school soccer right now, and, and she talked to me when I told her that I'll be interviewing Molly. Uh, she talked to me about uh, the in inequities, even at that level, at the high school level, that the boys get better uh, playing fields than the girls um, who are relegated to um, uh, playing fields that are rougher and just aren't as good and the facilities aren't good. So she was grateful. I, I just wanted to point that out. Okay, over to my left. Hi there, thanks. Sean Adamak with Adamak Communications. Um, I wanna ask you, a sort of practical but strategic question, and that's about working with lawyers, um, <laughs> especially the lawyers that you know who share your objective, right? Who are on right. your side, but whose instincts, I think we could, many in the room can attest, are typically do nothing, say nothing, you know, don't jeopardize the the legal effort. How did you navigate that? So. I mean, one of the things we did at the very beginning, which I, I know everyone here will know just how unpopular uh, a decision it was amongst the lawyers, um, is we said, sorry, lawyers, thank you very much for everything else you're doing. You will never speak on the record, like, ever. And, you know, it's much easier to do that when you have, a, you know, celebrity athletes who are, who, are, um, who are helping you to carry that message. But, but I, I think that was extremely important just in the posture and tone of what we were doing to be able to have the players speak for themselves. And so to me, you know, it's, it is using exam. I mean, this is a great example for lawyers that need one, but there are many others where you say, you know, it is so much more effective to hear from these people themselves than it is to hear from, you know, from, from a lawyer representing them. And there, but there are other points in time I'll say when, you know, if you do need to dissect a complicated, uh, 
legal judgment or filing, where it's quite important also to have those very knowledgeable voices there to be able to explain it um, and to be able to articulate it in ways that particularly media will understand. So there are moments in time where it's, it's you know, effective and, and important to use those voices, but I would say just hearing directly from the players was, was the heart and soul of what we did. Okay, next question. Hello, uh, my name is Ryan Yock, and regardless of what I do for work, uh, my mom works in women's soccer, and awesome. your efforts and have been incredibly important, not just to her, but to our whole family, so thank you for all of that. Thank you. Um, thank you. And uh, <clears throat> my question, as someone who is involved in women's soccer and things, is uh, you spent so long fighting for this one singular goal of equal pay, and very recently the Yates report came yep. out about the NWSL and the widespread emotional and sexual abuse that continues to happen in that league. And I'm wondering how you continue to engage the public on this issue once you've already had your win, the one that we were all working towards. It's such an important and great question, and thanks to you and your mom also for, for all the work that you do. Um, you know, we, we just, uh, we can't stop. I mean, the, so, you know, the, there's, a, for those of you who don't know what the Yates Report is, you know, there has been a, an extensive investigation conducted by the U.S. Soccer Federation and by the National Women's Soccer League into allegations of coach abuse um, sexual abuse in the league. Um, and it was really spurred by some former players, um, Mana Shim and Sinead Fairley, who came forward to, um, to tell the world what had happened to them when they were playing in the league. You know, our firm represents Mana and Sinead. We helped them come forward and tell their story to the athletic. Um, which ultimately, I, I mean, I'll tell you, and this is all sort of in all the reporting around it, you know, we tried very hard to go to the league first and the, um, the league didn't respond. And so again, we understood that we would work really closely with our colleagues in the media to shine a light on what had happened. And, you know, it led to really systemic, this, these important investigations and really important systemic change. We cannot stop. You know, this, I think, just on every level, we, we need to ensure that, you know, we are looking for, to make sure that women and girls are safe in their workplace and in their sports leagues and everywhere else. So, you know, we will keep going and doing that, and we are grateful for the rest of you who do, too. Thank you. Okay. Of course. Okay. I'm going to keep it over here, come back to you in just a second. Sorry, wasn't ready. Um, my name is Sean. I work with an education nonprofit in Dallas. Um, Megan Rapino has been a, a, one of my favorite people for about a decade now. Um, she has a special and a prominent charisma. Alex Morgan has been a pitch woman for a long time and a major star. How did you prepare the other players that may not have been as used to being in the public eye to speak on these issues with this spotlight on them? Um, and allow them to share their stories, but also help them deal with the, um, the, the viewpoint and the eyes that they may not be as used to? It's mm -hmm. such a great, it's a great question. And I have to say, we should note, I mean, Seattle is the home of Megan Rapinoe, so we should just give her, give her a shout out. It, but, 
But, it, you know, it was a process and it was, it was not an easy one. I mean, you, again, if you sort of wa you watch the documentary LFG, you'll see that there are players who have not really been in the spotlight, like Jessica McDonald or Becky Sauerbrunn and, or Kelly O'Hara, um, who really sort of found their voices through this effort. And it took a lot of pushing, frankly, and, and I know every, this is another thing we all do as communicators is, you know, we can create a platform and, you know, we can write talking points, but then we really want to encourage, you know, a whole array of voices to speak on these issues. And so we worked really closely with them for a long time and just really encouraged them to use their voices. And once they started, they were able to make such a profound difference when they would speak up because they're all just incredibly talented and smart and wonderful, thoughtful people. Um, but it was really sort of working with them on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, giving them the tools that they needed to feel comfortable having that kind of platform and then creating the opportunities for them to be able to do it as well. Thank you. Of course. Thank you. Okay. Next question. Thank you. I'm Gail Fuller, and I have worked in professional sports, both on a team level for the Magic and for the WNBA. And so one of my questions for you is how the, the fact that the women's soccer league, well, they were teams were so much better than the men's, um, played a role in your strategic communications. And because I have so many friends that are still in sports, and particularly too with the, the WNBA, are there any lessons learned from what you've done that can translate into other sports? Because I can tell you that, you know, for the league, it's you guys are lucky that you have a professional team. Yeah. And we did it because you, you know, won the 99, 1996 Olympics. So how do you kind of push forward so this is not just a one-off? Thank you so much for that question. Thank you. Um, and thank you for the work that you do. You know, I think one thing that is so important that we learned is um, creating allies. And so we, you know, it was just, uh, it was very important that we had, you know, men who were saying at the same time as we, as, as the women's team um, was saying it, you know, this can't stand, this is not fair, this shouldn't be. Um, I think the other reality of it, and, and this is particularly important for sports, is, you know, we had to win. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I mean, I, sometimes I think that it, it, that piece of it is so unfair because, you know, why is it that the women have to go out there and literally become world champions and Olympic gold medalists and like never lose a game in order to get people to say, oh, maybe we should compensate them fairly. And, and so for, you know, the W, the, the W, the WNBA has made, uh, I know, tremendous strides, the, the Players Association in advocating for their players. You know, their CBA recently took, made a lot of progress and yet there's still a lot of work that has to happen. To me, what it is, is continuing to have those allies, to make sure that sponsors and fans 
understand exactly what the dynamic is because those the leagues will not change on their own you know they even if they want to it's so difficult for them that you know ensuring that the allies are there ensuring the sponsors understand it and ensuring the fans are there to support along the way makes a big difference okay okay next question hi i'm amber nelson with kaiser permanente i'm really curious to see how you would speak to what's going on with Angel City FC. So I think it's the first women-owned soccer club, and Abby Wambach and Natalie Portman are some of the founding owners. And I wonder if you can see the, I don't know, the dotted line or a really heavy, bold line between the work you've done, what they're doing now, and what the future holds for women in sport. So I'm so glad you asked that question. So Angel City is rocking it. Like, they are absolutely outstanding. And you know we have this we have this phrase um, in 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 women's sports, which is grow the game, and and what that means is you know there aren't just inequities in pay, there have been systemic inequities across the board on you know every piece of being uh, an athlete and a and a woman you know the the training capabilities the fields the you know, schedules, the um, uh, sort of all the workplace conditions overall. And, and the concept of Angel City is, is a very simple one. It is that if, if women um, invest in sports and if women serve as executives and leaders in sports, if women take on roles as agents in sports and women take on roles as coaches in sports, we will change women's sports. And so what we're seeing and what I hope we'll see a lot more of is that that sort of case study of Angel City, I hope it's applied more broadly across the league because it's made a big difference. Okay. Thank you. Of course. Okay. okay. And I think this will be our last question. Oops. Okay. We'll, we'll try to go fast. If you can ask the question really so quickly. I answer. <laughs> we'll try to get the, another question then. Okay. Um, I'm Anna Kegler from Democracy Fund. Uh, this has been such an inspiring story, and one thing I've been thinking about is Brittany Griner and just mm. how she's stuck in Russia, and the reason she was there in the first place was pay inequity. Yeah. So just wanted to bring that forward. I know you mentioned the WNBA's work and their struggles and wondered if you had anything to say about that. I mean, well, uh, thank you so much for, for bringing up um, at, you know, just our prayers and hope that Brittany can come home. Um, you know, one thing I'll say again about Megan Rapino is, you know, after all of this work, she was recently awarded, you know, the highest honor in, in our country, which is the Presidential Medal of Freedom. And, you know, she, as she was planning to go, she wanted to, she, she was really focused on Brittany. She, she was like, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go receive this honor, but this is an opportunity for me to say how important it is for us all to be focused on bringing Brittany home. So if you go back and look, at, or you noticed at the time, she actually embroidered Brittany's initials on, on her, her jacket and, you know, may, and sort of intentionally uh, spoke about Brittany at the ceremony. And I think the power of having, the power of sort of that kind of advocacy and dedica dedication um, is, is really necessary and really important. So thank yeah. you. Okay. Well, and thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your success. Thank you for the lessons that you share with this group.
This has been Thank you tremendous. so much, Norris. Thank okay. you very much. I okay. appreciate it. And as for all of you, LFG. LFG. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. I think we're wrapping up here, so I'm going to say thank you to Molly and to Norris. Thank you. Thank you are we hugging or are we still fist bumping? We can hug. We can hug. <laughs> We've known each other for a while. Thank you, buddy. You are awesome. I hope you understand what a treasure she is, what a hero she is. And she did not say this, but how many... Well, maybe you can tell them. Well, when were all of your meetings with the women's team as they were well, planning? Well, I sort of said it. You kind of said it. I mean, basically, they were all in the middle of the night when I was really tired um, for a long <laughs> like time. Like Sunday nights at 9 o'clock, right? Sunday nights, 9 o'clock. Saturday nights, 10 o'clock. You know, Wednesday nights, 11.30, because we needed to, you know, incorporate the West Coast. So, you know, this work happens because of what it, because of what it requires and also because everybody has a million other hats that they wear. It really happens, you know, whenever you can squeeze it in. And I know there's a lot of people here who do the same. And right. so grateful to all of you for doing that and for having me. I really appreciate well, it. Well, we are grateful to have you. And I hope, okay. we hope you'll come back. And Norris, my okay. friend. Hey, Linda's here. Can we all wish them happy anniversary? Yeah. Linda, if you stand up, get a little shine on you. There you are. Oh, you're right there. All of us who do our work, almost inevitably, if we're fortunate, have some partner who's supporting us. So, Linda, thank you. All right, I got a couple pieces of housekeeping. Right, we don't have to make this weird. Y'all can wander on off the stage, but be careful as you do so. And please mask up. That's part of my job is to be a mask police. If y'all aren't wearing them, I think everybody is. Put them on. Uh, a couple other pieces of business. Uh, if you have still one of these, please hang on to it. We're going to use it to kind of cue you a couple of times today. So this is not just a, a fun, snazzy thing that, that, that we did for you at the beginning. We'll use it again. In fact, can we fire them up right now, please? Can we fire up the bracelets? All right, take a look at the color you got. Every one of us has different colors. I think there's five colors. We're about to go to a break. What I'm going to ask you to do is go find somebody with the same colored bracelet that you do not know. Now, wait a minute, because this is, this is an instruction, and when I'm in the communications business, just like y'all, i got to make sure y'all heard me. So, what are you going to do with your bracelet? I can't hear you. Find somebody in what? Okay, you're going to go out, and you got about 10 minutes to chit-chat with someone with the same color. In addition, on your chairs, chances are, you may have sat on them, maybe they're on the floor now, there is a piece of paper that's giving you an assignment. Because after our little 10 or 15 minute break that we have coming up, you're gonna to go to this thing we're calling dialogue discussions. Everybody gets the exact same question. So don't you worry like, oh, I wish I was over in this room with my friends. We're all gonna be asked and answering the same questions. But in order to keep everybody safe, we're splitting you up a little bit, right? So see if you can't find that piece of paper. Does everybody have them? All right, excellent. Hang on to that while you're talking to the person with the same color bracelet, right on. All right, I guess, oh, lunch. I should explain this because I know some people were confused. Lunch will happen on the third floor. But again, because, you know, it's a little weird at the moment because of COVID, we're trying to split you up. So we're asking you to make a choice. There will be two events happening here in this room during lunchtime. Choose one. There's going to be an incredible CEO session that our friend Stacy Palmer from the Chronicle of Philanthropy will be hosting, or Vule and Robert Egger will be up here. So at some point, go downstairs, grab a meal, 
and then come up for the other session or start up here and then go grab food. The other thing I should tell you is, I think y'all figured this out, we've got to-go boxes and stuff. So if you are not comfortable for whatever reason eating inside with other folks, and we get it, it's a beautiful day in Seattle, which is a strange thing, but go ahead, go ahead and take them outside if you'd like. Uh, finally, I think Nora said that we have a new catchphrase. Did anybody catch that? Did, what was it? Let's fucking go. Say it again. Let's hear it. Nah, you guys are quiet. This is sad. It's like y'all don't get out of the house much. Try again. Almost. One more time. Okay, let's fucking go. Let's go. Come on, go out there. Find people.